We sail the ocean blue on our saucy ships of beauty. We're sober men and true and attentive to our duty. When the balls whistle free over the bright blues. Let me stop ya. I love a good tune. I was just reprising my triumph with the uh, Weatherfield GNS Society, HMS Pinafore. Sorry, I missed it. I, I, I was all set to play the title role in the Mikado this summer, my Nankipoo days being behind me, but we had to cancel the course because of COVID. Oh, well, it's an ill wind, as they say. Sorry? Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street Catcher podcast that reckons for a 60th birthday there ain't no pirate like a Cathy and Brian dancing around a fire barrel while Dev beats a drum and complains about devastating music party. I'm Gavin. Oh, and I need to fix my earbuds. I'm sorry. Earbuds? Headphones. 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 I hate to get all technical on you, but yes, those <laughs> definitely are not earbuds. They're old school earbuds. Cans, I would call them. <laughs> Where's the Cans. I remember a time when nobody would wear things like this because it's too big and clunky and vintage looking and now everybody wears them because everybody hates, well no, not everybody hates AirPods because lots of people like them. They just I love my AirPods, them. Just they, they keep on falling down drains. <laughs> I lose them, uh, I think I've lost two or three. Mm-hmm. One of which was recovered. So I lost it. Bought another one. Mm-hmm. 70 bucks, by the way. And then I think you found the one that I'd lost. Mm-hmm. I'm always finding your AirPods. I'm always finding everything. Then, uh, which is kind of ironic. And then... <laughs> and then I was walking home from the pub one night. And I was crossing the street. And I jumped up onto the pavement. And... An AirPod fell out, bounced once, and then went down, went the, down drain. the drain. So like, well, that one is definitely lost. Yeah, you're not getting that one back. And then I said, right, that's it. I'm replacing this one, and then that's it. Because the whole thing costs 150 bucks to start with. Mm-hmm. I've now spent 140 bucks in replacements, one right. of which was uh, unnecessary. Right. So you have and a of spare. Course, it was, meh. I don't have a spare, because it was the right one, and I had a spare for the left one. Because they're different shapes for different ears, obviously, and they're different shapes for the case. Well, you have a di- you have a spare for the left one if you ever lose a left one again. I think I might have already had to use that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so so I said well, that's it. I'm not replacing these again. And then I lost the entire thing. I lost the case and the AirPods that they knew <laughs> them then found. Yes. But in the meantime, I got my, myself a pair of uh, Audio Technica. Wireless headphones Ooh-hoo. with noise cancellation stuff and all that. Oh, they're really, really good. Yeah, which means you can hide <laughs> out in the office and not hear anything and have plausible de- deniability for everything that happens elsewhere in the house. Yeah, I never do that. Only ever when I'm walking the dog. They keep my ears warm. <laughs> <laughs> How are you this week? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, you know, lots of busy Christmas stuff to get done and on top of busy everything stuff to get done and looking forward to taking a week off 
When are you off? Uh, Same time I'm off. The 19th till Christmas. Oh, you're from the 19th. And then I'm going to work between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, I'm off when you're not then, and you're off when I'm not. Oh. I finish up on Christmas Eve, and I go back on the 4th of January. Oh, well, la So I've just taken the week between Christmas and New Year, which is, all, which, which is what we always do. Yeah. I I'm not sure why you've gone for something different now. I don't know. For some reason, I thought that's what you did. But actually, I but think... I can't because we, we typically drive to Connecticut, which requires me not to be in the office. Uh, yes, I know. I... No, I misunderstood you when you talked about what week you were taking off. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'll take two weeks off. I don't know. I just, I'd kind of like to have get everything done and kind of relax before Christmas and then just get Christmas done. And then New Year's, I mean, we typically, for New Year's, just sit in a hotel room with a bottle of bubbly Mm -hmm. and watch the ball come down so new year's isn't really for old people like us new year's really isn't it's not totally exciting exciting anymore it'll be it'll be nice to have to to do it with the kids this year as opposed to have them text us happy new year's multiple times (laughs) the night of uh, I don't really care for New Year. I'm not be in my bed. <laughs> I don't really care. Mm. And for this year, yeah. I think we'll all be happy to see the back end of 2020. Not that I expect, you know, miraculously on January 1st, 2021, for everything to get better, but it can't get much worse, can it? I don't know why you tempt fate like that. <laughs> of course, it can get worse. It can get much, much worse. I mean, William, I know it's going to. William Shakespeare's gotten the vaccine, so. But all the rest of us can't be much further behind. Right. I, I love that's that. just from 1554 onwards now <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. I love the fact that the second person to get the vaccine was named William Shakespeare. It's like peak England. The first person to get it was a woman, I think. Yes. Elizabeth, somebody. She was she was patient Cannon. 1A. Yeah, she was Irish. I wonder if William Shakespeare was patient 2B or, or not 2B. But I'm pumped-ish. Okay, that's a joke done for the week. <laughs> we can settle down. That's the pressure off. Ah. How was your week? It was kind of just like every other week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, while we're talking about uh, your Christmas schedule and my Christmas schedule, mm-hmm. we schedule. Should, should take a minute to talk about our show's proposed Christmas schedule. Schedule. Because normally we're off between. Because normally we're off between schedule. Christmas and New Year, which is news to Helen, and we don't. <laughs> Uh, do our Christmas episode. We kind of catch up the week after. We kind of catch right. up in the new year. I mean, remember that one time we did try to do the podcast from a hotel room and the the housekeeper came in. Oh, she <laughs> wanted to come in. Housekeeping. We're like, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. We're recording a podcast. We're recording a, a podcast about <laughs> Christmas. That was two years ago. That was a common language one that we were doing. <clears throat> which, again, we didn't do this week, which we should have. But um, We'll get it done. Yeah, so Christmas lands on a Friday, and as far as I can make out, the Corey schedule for Christmas and New Year is the same as it is normally, with just the addition of another half hour on the Thursday, so that's Christmas Eve and New Year Eve. New Year's Eve, they have an extra half hour. So, Mm -hmm. 
we're thinking about just doing what we normally do. <laughs> we'll just do this on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. So we'll do it on Boxing Day and we'll right. do it on the 2nd of January and then yeah. that's it. Yeah. That seems fair. It's yeah. just another extra half hour to watch and what else am I going to be doing on Christmas Day other than writing up Coronation Street notes? So. <laughs> and opening presents. Well, that always takes like... And eating a goose. 15 minutes. Are we doing that goose? I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't gotten out that way in such a long time because, you know, the numbers started going back up. So maybe... Or a duck, or not another turkey. See, I kind of like turkey. I only ever have it really once a year. Well, like in the big roast, we only have it once a year. We yeah. get turkey legs and turkey breasts and turkey meatballs turkey and turkey meatballs. That's about the only turkey that turkey. we ever eat during. Them. And turkey sausage. So. Your words were, we're getting the motherfucking goose. And I was and you're like, shocked into silence over the, the aggression of uh, <laughs> of that statement of what our I Christmas was just, lunch was going to be. I was just shocked that I found a place that had goose. Because you don't really see goose very I've often in America. In my life. I'm worried that it's going to be shit. And then that's your Christmas dinner fucked. Well, we'll have like a roast or something next to it. A roast what? Pig. Just naming animals now. <laughs> Cow. Porcupine. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that Cory news. Some of that... Spiny. Anniversary Cory news. Oh. We all hate the necessity of masks, but Sam Robertson, a.k.a. our Adam, has found the silver lining. He told Metro UK recently that fans can be overwhelming in their affection sometimes, and it's nice to find anonymity behind a mask. Overwhelming in their affections. Yes. Although, I wonder what that means. You know, fangirling. Ah. I think it means a little bit more than that. Uh-huh. I think it means a little bit of that. Uh-huh. And maybe with tongue. Uh-huh. <laughs> you and me both, Sam. You and me both. <laughs> Lisa George has opened up about a small stroke she had that left her blind in one eye. Oh, no. As the hemorrhage... This happened four years ago. Oh. Still don't know. Yeah. As the hemorrhage was behind her optic nerve. In a bit of coincidence, and the fact that the UK is an island, <laughs> the eye doctor she saw turned out to be the father of her ice skating partner... <laughs> What? Tom Naylor on Dancing on Ice. So three years later, she meets Tom Naylor and discovers that the the doctor she saw f- three years before that was his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Small little island. <laughs> she still has no peripheral vision in her right eye, which may make acting and ice skating difficult. Does she still ice skate? was kind of meant I'm just curious if she still does it or not I don't know maybe not she's quite good at it yeah I'm rubbish at it I've never tried it no. I don't imagine I'd be any good at it hmm. I nearly broke my back when I was just uh, in line plating so <laughs> takes a lot of balance I, I don't think that bodes very well I think I was leaning back far too much Finally, we join with our East Enders brethren in mourning the passing of Barbara Windsor at the age of 83 from Alzheimer's. She became a dame 
after um, her many years at e- on EastEnders, as well as raising awareness for Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. uh, she will be missed. Yeah, very much an icon of not just British soap operas, but British entertainment. And Broadway. And all she the carry-on a- movies. She was, I, don't, I think people remember her being in more carry-on movies than she was actually in, but she was in a, a, a fair number of them. I hear those haven't aged very well. No, of course not. They, they hadn't <laughs> aged really at the time. <clears throat> All kind of Benny Hill type humour, oh, mostly. Lovely. But, uh, but yeah, I, I saw a clip on on Twitter. Oh, I can't remember whose feed it was, but somebody had tracked down the interview that she gave on The Big Breakfast before she started working on EastEnders, where they made a pitch for her to work on EastEnders. And she was just kind of giggling as she was apt to do like, uh-huh. in, her, in her chair, not thinking it was going to um, amount to anything. But Correct. Um, it obviously did for for a number of years, and she became kind of the matriarch of that show. So yeah, so a sad, another sad way to end. Yeah. Uh, a sad year. Yeah, yeah, and even even over here, I mean, she started her career on Broadway. She was up for a Tony Award. Back in the 60s. Oh, she really didn't know yeah. that. So, even from Alzheimer's. And that's Corey News. Hindsight Corner. A bloop, 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 bloop. Last week I mentioned that I'd seen on Twitter that the horrible prosecutor woman also represented Nathan and sex pest gang. I couldn't remember if I'd seen it on Scott's timeline or Christopher's timeline, so I panicked to mention no one, and I'm more than happy to correct that this week. Give credit where it's due, and thank Christopher for his marvellous insight. Brava. Brava, Christopher. Brava? Brava. I'm I'm sticking to it. (laughs) And now this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight This Morning with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about Menopause the Musical. Oh, I remember that. What was it? Yes. Uh, Sally and Tim and Tim's dad and Yasmin, they were going to go see Menopause the Musical, but then something happened so they couldn't. And Tim's dad and Tim were very sad about this. And they went to go do something else instead. It's su- sufficient to be almost right, but then not sufficient enough to be wrong. <sighs> it was just Yasmin coming back from her honeymoon with Tim's dad. Oh. Tim wasn't there, and neither was Sally. Oh, why did I think for some reason it was... They were explaining something... it to, to Sally. Oh, and, and Sally to... said she wanted to go see it or something. And Yasmin wanted to go and see Menopause the Musical, but when Tim's dad went to try and get tickets, alas, it was sold out. Mm. I doubt that. Right. I was Gavin and you were checking the bank account because I was about to buy <clears throat> vogel.co.uk. You suggested that we started up a blog there because we <laughs> don't have a blog already that we never update. Right. We were still mulling over the idea of starting out a stupid crimes podcast. What? This is an idea that we keep having. Well, it started a year ago. I had done holiday trivia at work for the second year. Got told I wasn't doing it for a third year. Ended up having to do it for the third year. 
over Zoom. Right. Gary reacts to news that he's going to be a daddy again by buying his girlfriend an expensive car and moving her into a fancy flat with a rainfall shower. Typical bloody men. <laughs> the police have no problem tracking down Robert, become suspicious that he's done an Irish Tina, and demand that Paula shuts her bloody yap hole while presenting evidence at ironic moments. I think that was the case when there was a few scenes where uh, somebody would go out, Paula would say something, somebody mm-hmm. would go out the room and then come back in the room with startling new evidence. Mm. Yasmin didn't kill Tim's dad in Vegas. Alia didn't kill him outside the shop. No one killed him at his wedding breakfast. And quite frankly, we're getting a little annoyed by everyone's lackadaisical, lackadaisical approach to not killing this utter monster. That's what he said last year. That's mm. Tinka here. Mm-hmm. After almost half a century in the street where she's mostly been welcomed with open arms by all her neighbours, two days with little contact with anyone is enough for Rita to decide that she's lonely. Hope nearly gets pulled over by answering her phone while in charge of a scooter. Cathy is so enraged by Daniel's melancholy that she runs him over in the street. Bernie's attempts at catfishing really are shockingly obvious. Tim is in for a shock when he realises that Vegas weddings are legally binding. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. remember that? That was a year ago. The block of bread is a rubbish Santa. <laughs> a moment of the week was Cathy running over and almost killing Daniel. And a boring moment of the week was Rita boring Jenny to death. And that was Coronation Street on the top of the street this time last year. Bravo. What's with the fucking brava? I don't know. It's nice to... It's fun to say. It's not funny here. Brava. It's going to be one of those. (laughs) Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Shall we summarise first before we dive in? Summarise what? The birthday week. The birthday week that was the 60th anniversary of... Of Coronation Street. This yes. was the much hyped, obviously, birthday celebration. Another decade done. Yes. There was. I expected. Um, I expected more wholesome content. I wanted it to be on every day of the week, and it wasn't. Well, it I was can kind of understand that. Hourly episodes, which that means nothing to us. No, it really doesn't. We were watching them on Britbox. They're all hourly episodes, as far as we're concerned. Or Pretty they're much. all. Back to back. Right. I liked Monday. Mm-hmm. I liked Monday a lot. Mm-hmm. I liked Friday. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel it on Wednesday. Mm. And Wednesday, <clears throat> Wednesday was the actual birthday. I I enjoyed this week. I thought it had a lot of good acting. I thought it had a lot of good drama. I thought it had a lot of good stuff in it that furthered along quite a few storylines that we find ourselves enmeshed in. It didn't find an awful lot of joy in it. It didn't I really think that was the feel... the 10,000th episode that gave you that joy, wasn't it? Right. It really didn't feel all that celebratory. The majority of the storylines are really dark... And really moody, and <laughs> dark storylines. They decide to have a power cut in the middle of them, which right, just, just the, even, the metaphor just more, right? writes itself, <laughs> you know. And as we talked about a few weeks ago, with that, um, with having our moment of the week being um, a Scrabble game, was it right. Scrabble or was it chess? Scrabble. It was Scrabble between Rory and and Evelyn? You know, that's what really makes the street is these. And and that's kind of what they've been 
in in all of the 60th anniversary and remember back in the day and this is how it got started and everything at the creator his idea was a show about ordinary people on an ordinary street yeah but 60 years ago right but times have changed i will give you that but that's still not ordinary people. That's still not modern ordinary people on an ordinary street. It just, it felt like it was an awful lot of big reveals and big showdowns and big hanging off of roofs sort of thing. Mm. Um, and big bulldozers. Were, yeah, regular sized bulldozers. <laughs> right, obviously, well, you know what I mean. And and not an awful lot of just story driven stuff and and character driven stuff. Oh, it was all story driven, wasn't it? It was all culminations of stories. Right, but it was I think I prefer it when it's really character driven as opposed to bulldozers. The joy I think came from the Rebel Alliance around their little fire yes, on the cobbles. Absolutely. Singing and dancing while other storylines are happening simultaneously that are a little bit darker. So you've got... A little bit? Yeah. So you've got uh, Yasmin shouting from a window and then it cuts to Kathy and Brian dancing around a fire and... And not being able to... I don't know. That actually seemed a little blazing saddles. I don't know. There was something that that was... (laughs) It's quite a funny joke. There was a there was a number of funny cuts that mm-hmm. happened. Um, that was one of them. There was one uh, later on with with Simon and Sam that happened that was truly there to be funny. And but yeah, maybe not maybe not a huge amount of it. And there was a couple of scenes that happened where that sort of stuff was happening where there was nothing to write down. Right. It's yeah. I mean that. One could argue that the whole Sam Leanne thing was more character driven and everything. That kind of fell flat for me. And we'll talk about that later when we get to that storyline, I guess. Okay, so I think in summary then we enjoyed the week. We maybe expected a little bit more, which is kind of what happens when you're right, looking yeah. forward to something. I when guess, something but... is really hyped up, you're always going to be let let down in, in some way. Right. But let's not. But overall, it was pretty good. The smile I had on my face at the end of Monday was, <laughs> um, that was that was pretty special Monday. Because right. It, it doesn't matter that I that like, smile occurred because of the death of a character. No, that wasn't when he died. Oh, that's right. No, wait. I like courtroom dramas. Oh yes. And I like uh, Imran. Yes. And I like a few good men. Right. And Monday had. <laughs> All those things. So let's get into it then, shall we? Serious Eight, Imran is Tom Cruise. We haven't seen Imran running. <laughs> and to replace Tom Cruise, you really need to be able to run. Yeah, and Imran That's hates That's what stopped running. me. So Imran hates running. He does. So let's talk about Tim's dad then. On Monday, early morning, and Imran is making his notes for his closing argument, listening to Cannot Stop the Calvary by Jonah Louie. Is that a particular Christmas favourite over here? I can't no. say I've heard it in eight years. No. It is in the UK. But that's the first time I've seen Jonah Louis written down. Ooh. Interesting. Except it isn't. <laughs> so he's making sure to hit the right notes. Betrayal, trust, abuse, recklessness. It all sounds pretty good. Power, not love, is what Tim's dad craved above all. And there are lots of these 
you know, sort of shots of other characters while he's speaking, showing the relevance of his words in right. other storylines. And I thought that was very cleverly done. Yes. I enjoyed that. Sally and Tim were on their way to court. Tim beat himself up for not doing more about Tim's mum and Tim's dad spying on Tim's mum. But at court, there's been a hold-up. Uh, the judge announces that the defence has fresh evidence and grants their application to recall Tim's dad. And there's all murmurs in the court as to what's going Ooh. on here. And Imran offers a wink to Yasmin to tell her. It's going to be okay. I've got this shit covered. So Inman spent some time giving Tim's dad all the rope he needs to hang himself. Mm-hmm. Tim's dad says he hasn't seen Tim's mum since the summer. Imran then presents some CCTV footage of Tim's dad with cap and mask in the hospital near the psychiatric ward. But Tim's dad insists that it isn't him, it could be any bloke. Imran goes over this a number of times, getting Tim's dad to lie more and more and be more insistent that the figure isn't him. It's a complete stranger, according to Tim's dad. Mm-hmm. Then Imran shows a CCTV image of Tim's dad's car parked a mile and a half no, half a mile. Half a mile from the hospital, and then footage of Tim's dad getting out, and it's very clearly Tim's dad getting out, mm-hmm. putting on the cap and the mask. You're fucked, says Imran, because the timeline <laughs> of this, the timeline of this matches the hospital footage, which matches Tim's mum's claims, and Tim's dad is forced to concede that he was the figure in the hospital after all. And he tries to play the dotty old fool. He can't remember last week. He can't remember anything that happened last week, but claims that he hadn't spoken to Tim's mum. Imran finds this very convenient and asks what Tim's dad was doing. Tim's dad says he was collecting CDs. Or no, he was collecting... Uh, um, well, he said he was collecting CDs, but he also said he was on the mental ward to take requests, which I thought was quite funny. No, he didn't say he was on the mental ward. He said there was three other wards that are near the mental ward, and he was there speaking to people to get uh, requests. requests for his show, because he's... He's a star at the radio station, which he doesn't get paid for, by the way. Right. Yeah. It was very funny when he's like, you know, I don't get paid for this. Yep. I do it out of the kindness of my heart. So everyone sure. points out they never saw him with any CDs and then asks why he parked uh, half a mile away. Tim's dad said they had shopping business to take care of, but he couldn't be more precise. And, he- and also, for once, we don't see him in the CCTV footage carrying bags around. Carrying bags, yep. <laughs> no carrying bags. For so the shopping. So Imran asks if he can speak to any of the um, patients that they'll remember him coming around taking musical requests. And Tim's dad does himself no favours. He says, no, probably not, because the patients that he speaks to are drugged up to the eyeballs and can't remember their own names, never mind bumping into Tim's dad. <laughs> Enough of all the tall tales, says Imran, and he accuses Tim's dad of bullying Tim's mum into silence. And it goes on. Tim's dad is becoming more and more frustrated and he lets his guard down. Tim's mum was flaky. She and Yasmin were uncontrollable. Imran calls his attempts to intimidate Tim's mum ham-fisted and insists that the only way a weak man like Tim's dad can feel strong is by bullying strong women. Tim's dad claims to be the victim here. Imran says that Yasmin and Tim's mum are the real victims. Tim's dad's lost it now, saying that he tried his best to turn Yasmin and Tim's mum into something that was worth something. But they knew better. Imran says that he learned the boiling frog story well. And uh, Tim's dad doesn't have a clue what that's about. Yeah, and it seems like nobody else does either. Like, Sally has a weird look on her face like, what, is, what the hell is he talking about? Does, does nobody know the... Because the, that's an Aesop's fable, isn't it? The Boiling Frog. I know it's on QI. Why? Because it's not true? No, just about true? frogs. That if you put them in a lukewarm pot of water and boil it, they will happily boil alive. But if right. you put them in boiling water, they'll jump out. Right. And aren't we all a little bit like that frog? From time to time. 
Day by day, he wore them down, Imran says. Tim Stad says that Yasmin was useless from the start, useless in the kitchen and in the bedroom. He thinks this is going to win over a jury. <laughs> or the judge. I think he's kind of given up. He doesn't really see himself as being in the, the court at the moment. All mm. he is is a man standing up arguing with Imran. Right. He's looking very dapper. Yes. So, uh, Tim's dad made Yasmin look in the mirror and it's not his fault that she didn't like the pathetic excuse, excuse for a woman who looked back. No further questions, my lord, says Imran. And he sits down and, Im- and Tim's dad is left to go, oh, fuck, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> so the b- and, and his... Uh- his his representation just just sitting there. Right. She doesn't say a word. Imran is uh, shouting at Tim's dad quite a bit during this. Yes. You'd expect at least a cursory objection just to interrupt Imran's no, flow. No, because she but realizes that Tim's dad is shit as well. I, and I also, think. I don't think they want this to look exactly like a a court case looks uh-huh. because an awful lot of going to court and being a witness is sitting about in the witness room doing nothing. Mm. You can't handle the truth, Tim's dad. Right. So, the barristers make their closing arguments. The prosecution focus on Yasmin being a ferocious murderer. Even though she has murdered no one. And Imran said that he was uh, said that she was defending herself against the monster that is Tim's dad. And Imran does a much better job um, saying that Yasmin was fearing for her life. The jury take no time, and Sally thinks this is a good sign. The truth will out, she says. Well, it didn't happen for you, says Tim, and you were in the jail for four months. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Kind of shuts her up. The verdict is announced. We, the jury, find the accused not guilty. And right up to the moment it was announced, Tim's dad looked like he still thought he was on easy street here. Yeah. So he hurls abuse at the jury via video link and storms <laughs> out as the judge, still sleepy from Friday, tells Yasmin that she's free to go. And she looks like she doesn't know what to do. And that was nice. So she and Alia leave the court and Tim's dad is waiting outside, telling Yasmin to put all this behind them and come on, let's go off home. I'm paying for parking here by the hour. Yeah. What do you want for your tea, love? Right. Really? Really? <laughs> You really think that's going to work? I suppose. I, it, it, it just shows how completely demented this guy is. That this was just he like a... thinks this is going to work. It, it's almost like this was a tiff that he was having with right. Yasmin that was getting settled because right. they, could, they couldn't decide right. how to settle it. So let's, let's get a, a jury of our peers to, to settle right. it for us. So they've decided that I was in the wrong. Okay, fair enough. Let's go get some fish and chips now. Right. What? No. I just spat my microphone. <laughs> it's the thought of fish and chips, I think. We see quite a lot of fish and chips this week. Hmm. So, uh, Imran appears and threatens to get Tim's dad arrested. For what, says Tim's dad? I'm still married to her. Which kind of yeah. was a little bit of the truth coming home there, wasn't it? That Yasmin, after all this, he's still in the house and he's still her husband. So the kind of gloss of getting found not guilty was, well, yeah, but you still have a future here. And Tim's dad's part of it. Do one, says Imran, again, resorting Mm -hmm. to legalese here. Right. She's still my wife, says Tim's dad. I'm never going to be free of him, says Yasmin. You can be, says Imran. 
So with him running tow, Yasmin goes to the police station. She'd like to make a complaint about her husband. He snores, his feet stink, <laughs> and he keeps completing the cryptic crossword before she gets a chance to look at it. Oh, and coercive control. Yes. Back at home, Tim's dad is on the phone to Christine. He's booked two tickets for Cyprus for the both of them. Let's blow this popsicle stand. Um, I hope your landlord is forgiving for a midnight flit since you've just moved into that place in Oldham that, right. I'm, that I'm paying for. Right. Let's fuck off to Paphos. He has some unfinished business to attend to first, though. So on Wednesday, Yasmin, who has been staying with Alia, hears Evelyn on the bullhorn outside and looks out the window to see Tim's dad standing there, staring up at her. Ugh. Like, uh, like Mike Myers. Not for the first time, or not, not for the last time, looking like <laughs> Michael Myers in this episode. <laughs> Alia takes That's photos of him music to start. and wonders why he hasn't been picked up already. Rather than phone them. Yeah. Uh, Alia puts on her puffer puffer jacket and goes off to do this face to face, leaving her gran alone in the flat. And this is where I think we deviate a little bit from Reality? what would probably happen in this situation. Your gran has door. just got out of jail. This Tim's man dad is standing outside. Is yeah, she's like, oh, he can't get in. I'm going to leave now and leave you alone here with him standing outside. Right. The fact that he can't get in. It's neither here nor there. No. Because Yasmin knows Yasmin that is he's standing outside. Right. Yeah, this just does not make any sense at all. Why Alia doesn't say, oh, right, I'm calling the police. Yep. Yeah. The, the smile that I had on my face on Monday kind of faded a little bit here. and My eyebrow arched as Alia's putting on her puffer puffer jacket, which was a lovely puffer puffer jacket, I have to say. Okay. She really suited it. Is this really happening? <coughs> Is she going out to do anything other than go to the police station? No, she, that's what she's doing. Yeah. But, of course, it sets up everything else that happens later Right. Yes. So later the buzzer goes, and Yasmin, she's kind of doting about the place, talking mm-hmm. to herself, and she checks that it's a, a delivery that she lets up. And after the delivery's been made, there's another knock at the door, and when Yasmin pulls back the curtain on that weird little window that they have looking out to the hallway, it's Tim's dad there producing ah! a pathetic magic bunch of flowers. Ah! He comes in peace, he says. Scary. Yasmin says that she's already made a complaint against him, and he lays down the pathetic flowers and says that um, he's been to see his solicitor about the house sale. And the camera kind of lingered on the flowers going down, and I wondered if that's going to be important, and it turned out it wasn't. All she has to do is sign over her half of the house to him so he can abracadabra disappear to Cyprus. Otherwise, she'll be seeing a lot of him every day because if the police wanted him, they'll have had him by now. He's Teflon Tim's dad. Especially given that he's currently standing outside a flat where a certain PC Tinker lives. Of course, PC Tinker isn't home right now because... Actually, we don't really see PC Tinker very much this week, do we? see a little bit of him uh, on Wednesday, I think. Was it Wednesday? Yeah, towards the end of Wednesday. What is Colson Smith doing this week, as opposed to being... Because you'd think that he would be all over all of these storylines. Yeah. Instead of very briefly. Yasmin says that she's going to refuse to sign anything until she's had a chance to get her stuff out of the house. He's too busy watching Crocodile Dundee 2. He gives her an hour. (sighs) I figured they would score that much higher. I think Ben Price was being a bit of an asshole when he gave it 0.2 out of 10. It's not a 0.2 out of 10 bad movie. It's not a great movie. And in fact, in retrospect, there's an awful lot of it that is racist, homophobic, and transphobic. However, and sexist. 
zero point two out of ten. I don't think so. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid to rewatch it because I'm sure it hasn't aged well. I have happy memories of it. Yeah, and I, I think mean, it maybe a six or a seven. It's it's a part of the culture because people who have never seen the movie, like our kids, will say it's not an oife. Right. It's an oife. Right. <laughs> and they'll say it in an Australian accent sometimes. Yes. So they know where it comes from, even though they've never seen the movie. So it's part of the culture, but... It came out at a time when nobody really knew anything about Australia, Australia outside of what happened and Neighbours and Home and Away. And even 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 that was not known here in America. This was like Americans first. Right. And so you're seeing this guy who's a kind of... He's a kind of everyman while still being the sort of macho thing. Because he's not... He's not uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not brimming with muscles. He's not no. Sylvester Stallone. He's just a guy that looks like a stand-up comic. He does Because that's what he is. He does have some muscles. He's got a lot of arms, muscles, but not exactly leather vest. muscles from Brussels. He's no. just kind of built like regular people. And, and let's face it, he ain't no Helmsworth. But if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have Steve Irwin Crocodile Hunter. That probably wouldn't have become a thing. Well, it might have become a thing, but it might not have become a thing that everybody knows about, <laughs> opposed to Australia. Maybe Steve Irwin would still be alive if it weren't for Crocodile Dundee. I have a horrible feeling that we could be two hours from now still talking about <laughs> Crocodile Dundee, so let's, let's get back to draw a line under it. I agree that Ben Price was a bit of an asshole for giving that 0.2 Aww. out of 10. He said, he, that's higher than what he gave to Papadopoulos and Sons. Oh, did he give that zero? He gave that a zero. What did they give Love Actually? I can't, I can't remember. They see, they all they seem scored to... that ridiculously high. Yeah, well, it's it's like the fact that none of them mentioned the transphobia, homophobia, racism, or sexism in Crocodile Dundee in complaining about it. They just said that there was really no story there. Mm-hmm. They don't mention any of these problematic things, so. It doesn't surprise Which me is that love actually all over none again. of the problematic things about love actually. <laughs> and I fully, next time, I, I fully expect them not to talk about how problematic the shower scene in Elf is when they talk about Elf next week. No, of course not. But anyway, we digress. Moving forward, back to Yasmin and Tim's dad. Timbot4000 says, happy birthday, Coronation Street. It's oh, a little oh, late. Fine, <laughs> Timbot. Now? Okay. Sure. So, where did we get to? So on Monday. No, no, no. We're on, we're uh, on Teflon, Teflon, Tim's dad, PC Tinker. He gives out. her an hour, leaves the keys, tells her the contracts are on the table. He leaves and Yasmin leaves an urgent, desperate voicemail for Alia, who of course doesn't answer on her phone. Meanwhile, Sally and Tim have agreed to give Yasmin some space today. <laughs> well, Tim gets all melancholy. He saw Tim's mum put up a heroic fight against that bitch of a barrister. Why couldn't she have fought for him, he says. Oh, mm. Tim. Oh, poor Tim. So Yasmin goes home on her own, surrounded by the ghosts of her relationship with Tim's dad. She goes to see the chickens and rather sloppily leaves her cage unlocked when she goes back in the house. But she does appear to close the conservatory door. And I kind of thought that was going to be important. Hmm. And it kind of was, but... How effective did you uh, find that scene... With Tim's dad's face projected on the kitchen. Oh, I don't, I don't think I noticed. Was he already in the house? 
No, but like when she's hearing his voice and all of the awful things that he said to her in that house and she's reliving all of it, like there's like a projection. Oh, dear. I thought, there, there are I a thought number you were of telling projections me and stuff. That uh, Tim's dad had appeared again like Michael Myers at the window <laughs> while she was out with the chickens. That's not what you're talking about. No. Because that didn't happen. No. Right? Okay, good, because I didn't see it. No. But yeah, when she's facing the ghosts and she's got all the the images uh, mm-hmm. and the, the, the noise and the voices and stuff. Yeah. yeah I expected it. Yeah. I, I didn't find that as effective as, uh, as those screenshots in the beginning of, of Monday's episode. I, I think the, the projections, you know, the visual projections kind of didn't work for me. You know, I, I fully expected her to hear all of the stuff in her head. But to see like the larger than life Tim's dad head on the kitchen cabinets shouting at her in red, yeah. in red light. It's kind of like, hey, is this too much? I, I think they're on the hiding to nothing trying to represent the inner turmoil of right of the, the human psyche. Right. And a. 22 minute long right. episode of a soap opera yeah. yeah I thought it was fine it, it didn't offend me it didn't make me roll my eyes I kind yeah. of expected it though yeah I mean I expected it but it just it seemed a little over the top here's what I didn't expect and I thought this was much more effective in another storyline Abby drives a digger into a generator and knocks the power out leaving Yasmin in the dark in the attic with a torch and all of Tim's dad's stupid ventriloquist dolls that was effective <laughs> That was effective. Skipped the bejesus out of me. <laughs> it's like being in our basement. It was very much yeah, or anywhere in the house. It was <laughs> very much like the um, like magic, the Anthony Hopkins movie from the seventies, when he's a ventriloquist whose doll kind of takes him over. Mm-hmm. Just the the horrible grinning faces of the. When, since when was he a ventriloquist? Because he has millions of these things. I don't know. I don't know. It was like clowns, though. It was just very effective in the dark, right. under the torchlight. Reminded me of Goosebumps. Yeah. So Tim's dad is in speed dial, Jimmy in the cash register open with a knife when Ali comes in, leaving a message on her grand's voicemail. She sees Tim's dad caught red-handed in a robbery now. Oh, the police are going to love this. Tim's dad explains that Yasmin is giving him the house and is there at the moment gathering her stuff and he's going to be laughing all the way to the bank. But in keeping with telling your enemy exactly what your plans are, Alia proceeds to do just that to Tim's dad. She's been to see that Christine woman and has managed to put her off with some press cuttings and news that the new life that she was going to have funded uh, in Cyprus was going to be paid for by Yasmin. And not only that, uh, she was going to tell D.S. Abney about his Cyprus plans in the morning. But why wait? Let's do it just now. So she turns her back on him and goes on her phone, allowing Tim's dad to twat across the head with the petty cash tin. Ali goes down like a sack of spuds and Tim's dad can't resist a quick kick in her guts as he leaves and that was a moment that's been brewing for months yeah he's been dying to fucking hit her yeah and hasn't yeah and you're thinking I reckon Ali could probably handle Tim's dad yeah but with the petty cash tin and turning her back on him Mm -hmm. which she would never do low blow though a low blow Tim's dad yeah the kicking was I expected better from you no, you didn't. No, I didn't. Up in the street, Tim's dad phones that Christine woman, tells her that uh, she makes him a, want to be a better man. They can still make it work. He wants to change. It's hard being Tim's dad. 
Well, it's hard being with Tim's dad, says Christine. So he calls her an old, washed-up, demented shrew, and she hangs up on him. So that's that fucked. Yep, that's the end of Christine. Meanwhile, oh, we barely knew you. Yes. Meanwhile, Yasmin has found the bags of her old photos and amongst more of Tim's dad's ventriloquist dolls. She well, comes, at least that Christine. We she, still know my sister. Right. She And my cousin. Yes. She comes downstairs and one of the chickens is in the house. Not the same Christine. How did you get in here? As is Tim's dad. How did you get in here? Because he's got the key. Uh-huh. He's in a bad mood because of the whole Alia thing. All bets are off now as far as uh, letting you get the get your stuff and sell me the house. Yasmin won't be needing knickknacks where she's going. And then <laughs> he's got a tiny wee kind of lighter fluid. <laughs> yeah, what's up? They, they couldn't get, they couldn't find like a big... <laughs> Squirt, 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 squirt. Is this is this supposed to be a metaphor for his his emasculating? I, I thought so. I thought it might be because it's a it's not even you can get lighter fluid tins that are bigger than that. It's like he's gone for the budget version. That's, that's not going to fill a zippo. So he's got this I, pathetic little stream. <laughs> squirt, 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 squirt. Sort of glug, glug, glug is what you would expect. A, a, an ascending tone. <laughs> like that, I think. I think. I. I think. Because they, they want this to be dramatic, and they want him to set fire to the house, but they don't want the house to burn down, and they want it to take a while before Sally and Tim say, "Do you smell smoke?" <laughs> you know. But that didn't happen. Uh, well, we don't know how they. Well, regardless. Uh, <laughs> So, so I guess that's why they only wanted to start a small fire in the living room. However, later on, well, let's, let's not bust or flush. You see, like flames behind Tim's dad in another part of the house. I don't know. I anyway. I don't know. It's, it's, anyway, let's agree it's pathetic. <laughs> it's so pathetic. She threatens the police, but he's not planning on getting caught, which makes me think, oh, he's going out here now. <clears throat> a blaze of, of glory. glory. Right. And we we didn't practice that. We didn't. And I think it tells. She threatens <laughs> she threatens with Alia, but Tim's dad laughs because he either sparked her out or killed her ten minutes ago. And then he has a zippo which he lights. When when would Tim's dad need a zippo? Maybe he bought it when he bought the wee little thing of lighter fluid. Well why buy an expensive lighter when you're buying like the, the cheapo budget lighter fluid? Well maybe it's a knockoff zippo. Maybe it's not a real zippo. It sounded like a real zippo. You can tell what a real zippo sounds like. Well maybe he bought it second hand from the guy from Bread. <laughs> well I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> you ask me this calm when she explains that she only vilified him to get out of prison. Let's review the situation she says. She will call Abney right now and retract as soon as they've called an ambulance for Alia. Tim's dad sobs. It's too late. He's suffered enough, he says, but she hasn't. He tells her to drop the phone and continues lightly sprinkling the living room with lighter fluid. He drops a flame on it and she runs upstairs while he knocks out the smoke alarm for some reason because it's getting in his tits or something. Right, well, because if the smoke alarm is going off, then people are going to hear it outside and... He's expecting a big inferno then. Right. He's expecting an inferno that's going to kill him and Yasmin. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so she locks herself in the attic while he tries to knock down the attic door. Instead You've of running life. outside, she's by the door. The door's she's locked. by the front door. The door's locked. He's locked the door. He Doesn't says, she have a key? No. 
no well, honor. How, does, how, does, how do you lock an inside door and have it not be able to The mortise lock it? at the bottom. The bottom lock. The yeah, bottom lock in the door. Just click no. the little... What's the point of that? To lock Yasmin in the house. Seems like a safety hazard. It does. We'll review the... And coming out of the Somebody European Union, after coming out of the European Union, <laughs> hopefully these are some of the stupid Brussels uh, regulations that the, the UK will be able to get rid of. That Yasmin will be able to leave the house. And it's half time at Gayfield Park, Arbroath, when the score is Arbroath nil, Alloa Athletic nil. Alloa won that last time against Hearts. That was ri- ridiculously it looks impressive. It's quite cloudy. That's Arbroath that's on the coast. Ah, uh, yes, we've been there, haven't we? Mm. I don't think so. We've had those I've little. We've had think. those little delicious fishes, though. The Smokies, yes. yes. She locks herself in the attic while he tries to kick the door down. You've ruined my life. Let me in. She opens the dormer window. I think it's called the dormer window, and shouts for help. But the protesters uh, from another storyline are making too much noise, and Brian and Kathy are dancing, so no one notices. Kathy calls Brian <laughs> Professor Fun. Not even, not even Sally and Tim, who we know are at home, because Sally decided not to sit out with the, with the riffraff that. Her way of protesting is by behind the scenes making mm. phone calls. So Yasmin climbs out onto the roof as Tim's dad manages to kick the door in. Yasmin goes up to the is it the apex of the roof and shimmies along, looking like she's heading I don't know to Sally's house. And now <laughs> Tim's dad <laughs> climbs out and shimmies after her. Yeah. What was the plan there? Then out of nowhere. <laughs> Literally out of the... She ran through the flames to her grand's rescue. She Ru- ran... The house is on fire and Alia runs upstairs. Rubbing the back of her head. And holding her guts. Af- right. After being concussed. And where did she come from? How did she even know that that's where they would be? Because Tim's dad says, Jasmine's back home right now. Right. But how does she know... The house is on fire. She doesn't see anybody. I think by this point the fire's gone out. Because there's no way... You, fire safety shows you tiny little, like a cigarette flame. Like two seconds later, the drapes are on fire. Right. Or curtains, if you prefer. And then the whole house is burnt out like a yeah. five minutes later. He's sprinkled lightly, albeit lighter fluid, set it on fire. Five minutes later, Alia somehow is able, able to, get... to run through. So the fire, and, the fire and, must have went yet, out. And yet, shortly before that, when he's at the attic door, you can see orange light and flames behind him and smoke. I didn't notice that. I'll have to watch that again. So, so anyway. So, Timbot4000 says this does not compute. No? Correct. Timbot4000 says happy birthday, Coronation right. Street. Right. He already said Timbot. that. You already said it. Settle down, Timbot. It's okay. It's enough. They only, You'll be you only fine. You only need to say it once, You'll dear. be fine. You only need to say it once. It's all right. It's all right. So anyway, Alia appears out of nowhere, shimming after the pair of them and trying to whack Tim's dad with her handbag. This is also how I talk to my Roomba. If it, <laughs> she's not kidding. If it isn't Lazarus back from the dead, says Tim's dad, if he goes down, he's taking the pair of them with him. Yasmin tells him that beside everything, the most she ever felt for him was pity. She calls him a pathetic excuse for a man and tells him he's a rubbish shag as well. And when he meets someone better, his mouth tightens like a cat's arsehole, she says. She says if the plan is to kill her, just look her in the eye and know that she's not scared of him anymore. 
He makes a lunge at her and, she's, and he slips down the roof. Help me, you stupid bastard, he says. And she half-heartedly throws him her scarf, but he misses it and slides off the roof with a satisfying plop. And what was she going to do with that scarf? Pull him she's up. barely holding on herself. She's weakened by being in prison for all this time. I think it's just trying. Just, to just, just try. It would have dragged says, her down too. Don't. Just let him. And she says that she, she has to, to, to try. So it's just right. trying. Don't look, says Alia, and he's flat out on the grass, surrounded by chickens. Again, a bit like Michael Myers at the end of the first Halloween, but without the chickens. Yes. Then on Friday... And and, and Tim's dad doesn't get up and go away. No, and Donald Pleasance doesn't turn up. No, and there's no scary music. And Jamie Lee Curtis isn't crying. No. Well, maybe somewhere Jamie Lee Curtis is crying. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis. Anyway, on Friday... Next, it's Ryan's turn to be to bound through the house and appear on the roof. The place has been on actual fire, he says, so presumably it went out. Maybe all these things are flame retardant, I don't know. Alia tells him to check on Tim's dad, but not to call the police. Oh, and by the way, Tim's dad's probably dead. It was an accident. Trust me. It was an accident. See? Ryan finds Tim's dad's body. He hasn't done a Michael Myers after all. And Yasmin, who is still on the roof, by the way, and so is Alia. Well, Yasmin needs to talk to Tim's dad to apologise. Aya doesn't think that's such a sharp idea of what with them being dead, and that's probably a good thing. What have I done, says Yasmin. You've killed Tim's dad. No, but she really She hasn't really. And especially considering what happens in another storyline, there's surprisingly very little blood. There's no blood coming out of the back of his head, even though he's landed on the back of his skull. He landed land on grass, though, didn't he? Well, half on. Well, still, from that height, that it's would bash the back of your skull in. He's an old man, I guess. I just, I just like to think that you'd survive jumping off. You'd maybe break your legs or something, but I'd hope you'd still survive. It's pretty high up. It's like two stories. Yeah. I don't know. You want to get on the roof and try it? I'd just like to think if the house was on fire, we could jump out the window to safety. Well, we could because outside of our outside of our bedroom window is a lower roof, mm-hmm. which is the living room. So we could jump on that and then slide down. And okay, be, that's fine. Yeah. So Tim's dad, no. So Tim's mum and Ryan go round to Tim and Sally's because they don't know what's happened, and so they all go next door. Tim's dad is de- still dead in the garden, and Yasmin is still on the roof. It takes Tim quite some time to notice that Tim's dad's dead body is right yeah he keeps interrupting in ryan back. who's trying to explain to him what's happened and it's about fucking time but all your claims and say just as sally pokes her head out of the window telling yasmin that she's not responsible for this but yasmin doesn't think people will believe it she can't go back to prison she'd rather die what i can't believe is that she's holding on to that roof with only one arm right and still it's still managing to cling there sally, that's what i can't believe sally threatens one arm alia Elliot, bless her, holding on with both arms and looking like it's very, very difficult. And like, it's very hard to hold on and it's very, very difficult. Yasmin, one arm. Well, she has to turn to talk to Sally. Very sad. One arm. Just like laying on the beach. She has to turn (laughs) to speak to Sally. And I think that's the downside of Deciding to have the denouement of the storyline story on an the angled roof. roof. Mm. So anyway, Sally threatens to go out to join her 
Uh, she's not good with heights and she's got her slippers on, she says. <laughs> Tim appears in the attic and offers to talk to Yasmin. He's been horrid to her in the past, so she'll know that he's not trying to butter her parsnips, so to speak. And Sally thinks this is a great idea because she fucks off and leaves them to it. The Rebel Alliance are playing the communards, don't leave me this way, while Tim chats to Yasmin on the roof about the magic tricks Tim's dad used to do. Desperate to make him stop talking and get away from the oddly ironic music, <laughs> Yasmin climbs back along to the open window. And but she, she doesn't climb she doesn't in. Get in. <laughs> she swears that she didn't intentionally kill Tim's dad, and Tim believes her. He'd say so in court. Everything about Tim's dad was tricks and lies, he says. So back at Tim's, Tim's mum is proud that Tim talked to Yasmin down from the roof. Meanwhile, Yasmin is worried about the police coming. Tim's mum sits with Yasmin while Sally goes to check on Tim and Alia. Tim's mum is maybe a bit too cheery about Tim's dad's death for Yasmin right now. So the paramedics finally take Tim's dad's body away. There's no ta-da this time, observes Tim. And on the street, Cathy finds out from Ryan that Tim's dad has bought the farm, chickens and all. (laughs) And then Cathy dances a jig. She's only sorry that she missed it. And she shouts, jiggle at Tim's dad. And Ryan tries not to laugh. Cathy asks him uh, to pass on her apologies to Yasmin for being such a shitty friend in the past. An ambulance takes away his body. Off he jiggles, says Cathy. <laughs> that was great. She was fantastic. Inside, DS Abney is speaking with Yasmin, who is still under the impression that she's in trouble for this. DS Abney and Sally calmly explain that she's a witness, not a suspect. Sally takes Yasmin back to the flat, leaving Tim and Tim's mum together. Yeah, Abney is like, you know, we've been working this case since the start. We believe you, Yasmin. Like, really? Like, a bit fucking rich. Really? A bit rich now. After all that time, you didn't believe her? The only reason this, yeah, the only reason this went as far as it did was because it, she didn't believe Yasmin, and she did believe Tim's dad. Oh, well. Anyway. Tim's mum tells Tim that he's not to blame for anything uh, that happens and he doesn't have to figure out how he feels about her or Tim's dad right now. She's sorry about Tim's dad, but he's still a son. She's Tim's mum's son whenever he's ready. She's Tim's mum's son? He's Tim's mum's son whenever he's ready. Ah, okay. Back at the flat, Alia's making food, fully recovered from the head injury and the boot to the gut from earlier. (laughs) Jasmine is still jittery and Alia's pretty upset. Sally at least says to someone in the midst of all of this that the paramedics are looking at Alia too. Mm-hmm. Can, can somebody just please put my mind at rest? Have a quick look at Alia. Make sure she's okay because she's taking a petty cash down to the head. Right. And again, no jam on her hairline. No. Nothing. And you would expect a little jam, especially considering what happens. In another storyline. Right. It's over, says Alia. Finally. And Yasmin isn't so sure. And that's how we end that storyline this week. And the Tim's dad storyline. No more Tim's dad. Yes. No more of this. I am Timbot 4000. Tim's fucking dad can go and fling shite at himself. No more of that. No. I mean, we can still, we can still play it every once in a while because it's true. He can do that in hell. <laughs> Timbot4000 so. says happy birthday Coronation Street <laughs> Enough, enough dear, enough it, Ian Bartholomew is funny, you know He tweeted a picture of Tim's dad lying right. On the ground surrounded by chickens And said bye bye He is happy to be out of that role He is done I imagine He's so I imagine He's grateful it's a little bit for of being a, out of that It's a little bit of a um, Double edged sword though because 
despite everything, it's regular work. <laughs> and that's and that's that. Well, he's got a album deal now. Oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And I'm sure he will find more work because he did a great job. He did acting that. He really did. And towards the end, I thought he did a particularly good job at being menacing without becoming pantomime villain. Right. I don't think yes. he was pantomime at all. No. He was very good. There was maybe a few too many uh, magician's puns <laughs> when he was talking to Yasmin through the weird little window that they've got. Right. But aside from that, yeah, it was it was done where he really is just gone fucking crazy and is happy to kill the both of them. Yeah. <laughs> a little squirty. He's be squirty though. God bless him. <laughs> He's got a wee squirty. So all those women were telling the truth when they said He's not very good in the sack. It's an ending that I insisted had to happen. Yes. That for the the, the satisfaction from the audience, he had to die. You were hoping for some kind of imprisonment. Did you think this was a a, a worthy ending to the storyline? And and I, I I I wasn't alone. I saw quite a few people on Twitter that said, you know, that's that's an easy out for such an evil person. But on the other hand. You know, he was right after the court case. Yasmin was never going to be rid of him. You know, as far as the house and the money, she was always going to be looking over her shoulder. So in the long run, as much as I would have rather he had gotten his actual comeuppance and been imprisoned, I think this is the way that it had to end. I agree. I think in real life... He'd want to go to jail, and he would go to jail. Yes. Well, hopefully he would go to jail. Right. And this kind of thing, yeah, he had to die. Yeah. I managed to resist the temptation. You know how I've been doing these little uh, Twitter gif type things where Mm. something falls on the floor and makes an unexpected noise? (laughs) I resisted the temptation (coughs) out of respect for the memory of Tim's dad. You totally should have done that. Boing. Or like, uh, you know, in like old uh, Disney cartoons, when when Goofy falls off something, he goes, Yahoo! Or something like that. No. Well, he does. In like old Goofy cartoons. Like the ones that are supposed to be like infomercial sort of thing, only they're funny. Like Goofy on dieting and stuff like that. Do we still Um, see Goofy cartoons? That's why. Our next storyline today is Oliver. You can watch but he's Oliver dead as well. Plus, yes, yes. On Monday, up early, and Leanne is packing her stuff into a toty wee case while Nick can only look on with his mouth open. She tells him that she'll be back later for a charger that she can't find, and that Simon will be staying at Peter's. He thinks it sounds so final. That's because it is, she says, and she doesn't entertain him beyond that. She meets up with Peter in the community garden and tells him about Nick. Peter suggests that they've been through worse. Sometimes you don't get past, though, says Leanne. So she goes back to the flat for the and charger. And she preaches at him for giving up on Carla. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that when that happens. What the, what the frick of frack? Yeah, that was a, a very brief uh, joining of storylines that are mirrored and then they split back off again. Right. But it's such a hypocritical thing for her to say. Oh, sure. So she goes back for a charger. Nick thinks that she needs him, but the thing that she needs, she can't have. He doesn't want her to go through this alone, but she doesn't want to get through it because it 
is all that she has. I thought it was quite poignant. Which is not true. She has what? another son. <laughs> oh, but the, the, she doesn't want to get through the loss because the loss means that it, she's at least remembering them. She gets through the loss as kind of the, that she's forgotten. I think is the point that she was trying to make. Right, it's all she has left of Oliver. Right. Except all the pictures and the toys and the memories and the videos. And, and the 3,000 photographs that apparently she has on her phone. Right. She's off to stay at the pub and then off to France to see Eva and Stella. Nick tells her not to rush into a decision, but her mind is made up. On Wednesday, Tau goes round to the rovers to see Leanne, who's already booked her flight for tonight. One way... She has to go because Oliver is everywhere and so is Steve who reminds her of Oliver. Toya doesn't think that she can run away from this, that Oliver will be there in France. And what about Nick? What he wants and Leanne casts up Sam. Nick is making his own memories with his other family. And it turns out Leanne asked Simon to go with her but he knocked her back. He's not a kid anymore. He's a... He's not a kid anymore. He has his own life. Mm -hmm. And again, Toya isn't sure that Leanne can outrun this but her mind is still made up. And Nick is in the community garden with Natasha and Sam. Sam seems to have a coffee, although it's an empty <laughs> cup, thankfully. But geez, I'm thinking caffeine is the last thing you want to give this kid. Maybe it's a hot cocoa. Again, Wee bottle of water for you, Sam. There you go. <laughs> Nick explains the events of 10 years ago with the tram crash. Ashley Peacock is remembered as Nick's best friend. Hmm. But his name isn't actually mentioned. We've not forgotten him, says Nick. Yeah, you have. <laughs> so, <coughs> and then Sam lightens the mood with an awful joke about a drummer that Nick doesn't get, and Natasha laughs too hard at it, which I think may be Sam's real issue here, that Natasha is, she's just... She's too... Mm-hmm. She's too soft. It's like, it's like, you know, all the times you tell Benny that his patter is rubbish. <laughs> yeah, it is rubbish. Or shit. Or literally... Pish. Betty, your 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 patter is shit. You need to work Get on better that. patter. Mm-hmm. Get better patter. You need better patter. Stepfather of the year, folks. There Stepfather of the year. Well, <laughs> when his patter becomes good, I won't take any any prizes for it. I'll just sit and smile and think I contributed to that. Leanne walks by and sees him, and Nick runs to apologise, but Leanne is done. She can't stand us while Sam watches on. Natasha, Sam and Nick that are back at the flat. kid is always peering out of the fence of that right. garden. <laughs> Natasha, Sam and Nick are back at the flat that's in darkness now because of in another storyline, Abby drove into a substation. In comes Simon in the huff and leaves his key and is set to leave until Sam introduces the idea of a sleepover with pizza. Natasha leaves him to it and Sam goes to put the pizza place number in Nick's phone but secretly he's texting Leanne. <laughs> And, and ironically, we get another mention of chickens. And later, Leanne comes in, furious with a message that she's got from Nick that says, only chickens run away. And Sam steps out from behind a door or something and says, it was him what sent the message to stop her going away. It was me. And Leanne sighs and says, oh, not this kid. <laughs> on Friday, she gets on the phone to Nick, but he's apparently going out to pick up the pizza, the phone of which was stuck in his phone earlier on <coughs> but now he's stuck in traffic Leanne wants to leave and Sam thinks it's because she doesn't want to talk to him all about Sam she says that she's just tired and has a plane to catch and you hate me says Sam 
She denies it while Simon goes off to track down pizza. Sam has made a list of likeable things about himself. He says he's not afraid of spiders, which Natasha calls a superpower. Again, just bumming up these things. Oi, oi, oi. He says he's patient. Leanne really wants to be on that plane. Yes, she does. Really, really wants to be on yes, that plane. Yes, she does. Now Sam is trying to floss his way into Leanne's affections. Which, what is this, 2018? <laughs> I kind of lost interest at this point, but he thinks that even though it's difficult, she might end up liking him if she tries, and she smiles wearily. Later, Simon comes home from being upset from another storyline. <laughs> he wants to go to France with Leanne now, but Leanne's already oh missed God, her flight, now. and Simon seems to take this personally. <laughs> Nick comes home at last with pizza, and Leanne realises that she can't run away from her grief, and at least she has distractions here, like how annoying Sam is, and Sam smiles. <laughs> Simon again misinterprets this to be about the situation between Adam and his dad and slams his bedroom door. Right. Hungry? Asks Sam. <laughs> Not giving <coughs> a solitary fuck about Simon's predicament. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Uh, it may make me an awful person. <laughs> but I laughed so much at how worked up Simon gets. About... And it's... <laughs> About the other storyline, and then, and then pouting behind a wall, saying, "I'm done. I want to go to France now." But he's—it was the fact that he seemed to take everything that he was said, everything that was said by everyone else uh, or by Leanne, as being particular to his predicament, which right. it wasn't. Yeah, she might have been. Like, she might as well have said, upset. Uh, "I want to go to France." So, oh well, I've got pizza. Is this because of me and my dad? What? <laughs> No, it's, I've just got pizza. And it bums me out because Simon has been so sweet in the whole Oliver stuff. And then he was quite sweet at the beginning of this when at first, you know, he slams the keys down and is all in a huff and, you know, is making assumptions about Nick and Natasha. And then when the, and Natasha's like, no, I'm leaving and there is nothing going on, you know, with me and Nick. Nick loves your mom. Mm-hmm. He softens a bit, and then he softens and says, yeah, all right, well, I'll do a sleepover with this annoying kid because there's pizza involved. He really likes the pizza. It's mint. Oh, mint pizza? It's not that kind of mint. Obviously. It's mint. Oh, God. Such a weird... Anyway. So that's Leanne... Staying. Going away and then not going away. And then deciding to stay because... Sam can do a dance from two years ago that nobody cares about anymore and nobody does. And he's not very good except, at that by, by his own omission. Except for characters on television shows. Well, it must be a couple of years ago since Mary did it. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when Mary, when Mary did the floss and we loved it and it was charming. Mm-hmm. Two years on, Simon, or Sam using it to try to worm his way into Leanne's heart because he did it for his mum when his mum was sad. And that cheered her up. Which, again, Natasha, cut it out. <laughs> I was trying to think. Because there's been all those TikTok dance videos done this year with people dancing with their families. But I can't remember the name of any of those dances. The TikTok dancing. Oh, I really, I, I think I hate TikTok more than anything. Remember when we as a family did... Um, that Harlem Shake video. That was seven years ago. Or eight <laughs> years ago. Might have been eight years ago. I was in the old house. That was brilliant. That was. That 
was brilliant. We should do more of them. No. No. Just do that one time. <laughs> you took your shirt off for that. I did. Do you were wearing a a a, a lucho mask? Oh, I can't remember. And Stelly was wearing that giant polar bear. She just refused to not look in the camera. <laughs> she was looking in the camera. The one thing Betty you do to your Stelly is just don't look in the camera. <laughs> and she looked in the camera all the way through. To be fair, she was she three. Was three so, but very poor at taking direction. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have a strange kind of setup where... Uh, there's the Nick, Sam and Natasha thing and then there's the Nick, Sam and Leanne thing and I guess that's where the drama's going to come from now. I'm keeping Stoom. Oh, you know, see, you read the spoilers, I don't. I have to, to do Corey News. I have to, I, I am exposed to spoilers of which I will not speak now. Let's, let's then move on to our penultimate storyline today. Already? Yeah, we're not going any faster than we have been over the past three weeks. This is still going to be probably a couple of hours. Coronation Towers. On Monday, Kev is off to Blackpool for a subframe for a Rover 75, and I was like, yes! Told you! <laughs> it's a shit car. It was Very either specific. that or Kirkaldi, he called it. It's Kirkaldi, Kev. Kirkaldi. You don't pronounce the L. Abby gently ribs Kev about skiving off to the pleasure beach. Debbie has a meeting so can't take Jack to school, so ropes Abby to take the car to do it. And this is all going back to whatever was dumped in the car last right, week. Right, yeah. She's so thrilled about taking the piss out of Kev, she doesn't notice that she's been set up here by Debbie. Meanwhile, Brian is replacing the Weather Gazette sign outside the cabin. Eight pages of local, local sports news is now four pages of local jobs. He's singing a song from HMS Pinafore when he notices Ray Weinstein listening in. Brian was up for a part in the Mikado, but his Nankipu days are behind him. Ray is more interested in whether Brian has uh, signed the unsolicited contract that he pushed through the door yesterday. Brian found it presumptuous. Ray threatens Brian that every day that passes, the amount of the offer will be reduced. Cathy is only sad that the contract isn't chunkier because Ray can shove it up his arse. Right up, up his, his arse. arse. Secretly, though. Brian and Cathy look to be contemplating it. I don't think so. At Roy's rolls, Roy is confident he can fuck up Ray's plans, all thanks to the brewery. The internal heating coil is original, which will help them secure listed status, and Roy comes in his pants a wee bit. Abby is just <laughs> He's worried... He's quite excited about all that old copper. Right, we'll get uh, that Ray will get wind of this, and at this, Debbie comes in and overhears the gist of their plans. Right, and she hides. Mm-hmm. With her arms... <laughs> Permanently crooked at that angle to keep the handbag there. Later, she nabs Ken and Roy on their own and offers to help against the development, which leads Ken and Roy to be more than happy to share their entire plan of getting the brewery listed and protected. Then Ken's Debbie, back, by the way. Yeah. Then Debbie rushes off to tell Ray. He's furious. They're fucking local history mob, he says. But they can't preserve something that isn't there, and so he decides to throw in the demolition, demolition crew today. And he gets on his phone to put his plan into action. And Debbie's worried that they're doing this without planning permission. This school backfire. And he's like, well, it's better to ask for forgiveness, forgiveness than permission. Sort of thing. And, and that is, that's like the first rule of politics right there. Right. right. <laughs> so Debbie gets back home. Kevin and Abby are lounging around. She makes lunch and makes a deal of cutting a finger. That cheddar was sharper than I thought, says Abby. Zing. That was ah. the zinger of the week, I think. 
Debbie sends Kev out to get the first aid kit from the car because she needs a band-aid. Right, and apparently all of the band-aids from the kitchen are all gone. Mm-hmm. And and I, I guess <clears> they don't have any in the bathroom upstairs. And she doesn't have a mouth that she can stick her finger in until it stops bleeding. Which is what you probably do if you don't have a plaster. So if Kev comes back in with a foil wrapper that must have held some classy drugs. Abby denies all knowledge and reckons Debbie might have an idea about where it came from. If it was Abby's, she's hardly likely to leave it lying around, but thanks for the vote of confidence, y'all. And Debbie advises Kev not to put his love life ahead of Jack. Kev's heard enough and goes to pick his kid up, but something's happening outside that makes him get the others to follow him to the street. It's a big digger on the street, heading straight for the brewery. Ray watches on gleefully as the residents gather. Rita isn't impressed with Ray and threatens to sing. (laughs) Brian doesn't negotiate with terrorists, he says. And Brian turns into the good bits of Winston Churchill here, saying that we will fight you on the cobbles. We will never surrender. Yeah. Just the good bits of Winston Churchill, though. Just the good bits. Ray is embarrassed and goes back into the bistro. And Abby has read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and she isn't afraid to use it. (laughs) So they set up a wee tent at the brewery to block the demolition, and Roy points out their right to assemble. Ray says the law is on his side. Cathy says right is on theirs and Ken pretends to be a hard man and says he's come across more intimidating opponents than Ray Weinstein. Over his 60 years on the street. And as has been threatened for a few scenes now, they all start singing We Shall Not Be Moved and Abby does a karate chop. (laughs) Are there... Are there... there, I expected more British protest songs than... You know, civil rights. No, oh, we shall not be moved as very much a a, a, a stalwart in the in the, the hymn book of the the British activist. Very much so. It's an old spiritual song. We shall not be moved. Yeah. I've never thought of it as being spiritual. On Wednesday, Evelyn has got her hands on a bullhorn and is rabble rousing the residents who now have a Weatherfield equivalent of a barrel fire going on outside an old brewery. Mm -hmm. It's nice though because we finally get to see her and Nina's protesting in in first person instead of hearing about it later, which Mm -hmm. we've had before. I'm just sad that Toya's not there. Dave's got a drum and Brian entertained (laughs) everyone through the night with his gangangulies. The spirits are dampened somewhat when another bulldozer rolls up and Abby goes off to get reinforcements. At the garage, Kev wants, Kev wants to talk about the foil, but Abby is focused on the bulldozer and the digger while Debbie hangs around unseen outside and listens to them talk. Kev has remembered that he's got a friend in the council who can chase up Roy's request for a, um, a postponement to the right. whatever. Abby leaves as Debbie arrives, saying Kev looks frazzled. He says he's busy and gets on with his work while she turns her back and phones Ray right there at the garage to tell him that there's a problem. Mm-hmm. It's dark and Kev's mate has managed to call an emergency meeting at the council to stop the demolition or something, just as the digger and the bulldozer start up. The digger picks up the wee fire and tosses it aside <laughs> for no reason. Ken has been for his messages and has two carrier bags full of radical activism and gets all Tiananmen Square as he steps in front of the heavy machinery while Dev and his drum get on everyone's tits. Then then Ken gives a speech to the digger driver about years and wives and margins and people before profit. Does it... Get out of the way, old man. Does it feel a little insensitive for Ken to be comparing himself to the protester at Tiananmen Square who is actually... 
you know. Probably killed. Right. And, you know, very, very much could have possibly have been run over right then and there in Tiananmen Square. Live on television. Live on television. But wasn't and showed, like, true bravery in the face of certain death. It was pompous enough to be Ken. It's December. Why are there birds singing outside? Why do birds <laughs> suddenly appear? <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's typical Ken. The bird agrees. And to be fair, he lets someone else draw the conclusion with Tiananmen right, Square. Right, yeah. Which... Do you know that most Chinese people don't know that that happened? I'm not surprised. That's staggering though, isn't it? Anyway. They probably know, they just don't admit that they know. That might be the case. That's, you know. that's how it goes. So, meanwhile, Abby has the keys and has sneaked into the other digger and locks herself in. The workman tells her, don't touch anything, but Abby touches everything. And it swings the digger's arm around, slamming it into the cobbles, and everyone thinks this is a great laugh until it goes into a generator and all the power in the street <laughs> goes out. The look of glee on her face. It was like that time that somebody let Donald Trump... Uh, Blow, sit in the cab of a 18-wheeler and blow the horn. Mm-hmm. That was the look on her face. Yep. She looked exactly like Donald Trump. Exactly like Donald Trump. <laughs> Why did your microphone keep on swinging around? I don't know. It, but this is like up. the second week. Stelly must have messed with it. Anyway, there's a bird outside singing in December. And for some reason, it angers me. It's singing in December. I don't know that one. Can you hum it and I'll <laughs> sing along? <sighs> it was no to be or not to be, I'll tell you that. <laughs> now the police are on the scene. How do you crash a digger into a substation? Debbie asks Craig. Craig just makes his excuses and leaves. Right, yeah. That's, that's what he the does. one time we see Craig this no, week. No, we see him again. Do we? Mark, who's Kev's mate, is also there and has a piece of paper in his hand so he knows that this is important. It's a temporary stop notice. Plus, it seems that the planning permission hasn't been granted yet. Plus, plus, the developer got wind of this stop application somehow. Kev and Abby are confused. The only people who heard of their plan was themselves. And then they see Debbie chatting up Dev. And the penny finally drops for Kev. Finally. And we're robbed of the confrontation between Kev and Debbie because the next time we see it, she's already admitting to it. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't put up any kind of protest. She says that she's been working with Ray for three years and she advises Kev to open his eyes and move with the times and enjoy the money this development has given him. And it's like, it's slagging off the street and people on the street and, and not not contemplating the fact that she's talking about her brother. Right. It's like, what, you think Kev is different from all the other people who live on the street? Mm-hmm. What is What is wrong with you, lady? Kev wastes no time in telling all the residents protesting that Debbie is a fucking snitch. Traitor! Ray and Faye are alone in the bistro in the dark when PC Tinker comes in to tell him that there's been a temporary stop so nobody will be knocking down nothing. Ray can tell PC Tinker is enjoying this, calls him Ginger and throws him out. Faye, meanwhile, tells Ray that she's finished all of her jobs for tonight. All of them? Asks Ray. He was was furious 10 seconds ago with PC Tinker and now as horny as a dog with two dicks. Faye throws up in her mouth a little bit. And later she goes into the office to say goodnight to him but Ray wants her to stay for a drink. It's been a pick of the day. He closes and locks the office door. And on Friday, Gary is round at the bistro with a factory contract and he hears Faye pleading for Ray to stop coming from the office. That was quite chilling. Yes. 
He bangs on the door and Faye comes running out, fixing herself up. And the common sight of Ray fastening his belt is behind her. Yeah. She runs out. He says it's a misunderstanding. Gary tears up the contract and warns Ray if he ever goes near him or Faye again, he'll shove the contract so far up his arse, he'll taste Time's New Roman. And we've already done the right episode. So we can't do it again. So we can't do it again. Kevin and Abby are home wondering how they could have let Debbie pull the wool over their eyes. And then she comes, insisting that she was only involved to protect people's interests. Uh-huh. Kev thinks that she was just fattening her bank account off of his home and his business and her nephew. He tells her to pack her bags or they're going to go through the window. <laughs> so, at uh, Gary's place, Maria comes home. She's offloaded Liam onto Emma or someone. Faye still doesn't want to call the police. Gary wants to go speak to Ray again, but Maria talks him down, and she uh, and Faye asks to have a shower, and Maria's like, well, you can have a shower, but you're probably covered in evidence. And Faye says that nothing happened because Gary stopped it, and she still doesn't want to get the police involved. And Gary looks smouldering off into the distance. Right. So Debbie's packed up, but as she leaves, she says that she wants to make this better. She says that she's good at what she does. She's a visionary. <clears throat> She promises to try and rescue this for everyone. Not under my roof, says Cave. Mm. Yeah, fuck off. So Debbie is drowning her sorrows with Ray. We were so close, she says. Ray admits that he might have lost the factory because Gary kind of maybe deliberately tore up the contract. Yeah, but he doesn't he's, tell he's, her why. He sell taped it back together again, but he's not sure it's going to stand up. Yeah, he doesn't tell her why. Debbie thinks time is running out or it's back to compulsory purchases, which is too expensive for their plans. Debbie tells him to get it fucking fixed. Do whatever it takes. And that's kind of as far as we get with that. Well, there's a little bit-ish of it in our final storyline today. Correct. So, on, as far as the devel- development's concerned, you kind of think that that's it. That this was culminating in the 60th birthday episodes. Was, right. Uh, them kind of knocking it on the head. But as uh, Roy pointed out, They've won the battle, but the war continues. Right. So this is an ongoing storyline. This isn't dead yet. This no. has still got some life left in it. And I mean, what are they going to... If if they get the brewery on a list of historical places or whatever, will they actually then finally do something with it? Make it like a museum or something? I don't know. Or will it still just be this shuttered thing that's at the end of the way? Right. Because nothing really happens in the brewery, does it? No. No. It's just this old... I'm pretty sure most people didn't know that there was a brewery until... Yeah. <laughs> Which just confuses me. So much to keep keep up with. And then they change things. Right. And then... It, and, you know, you kind of feel like if there's this big, massive old building that nobody has done anything with and it's just empty and it's just sitting there, it kind of makes you feel that Maybe, even though he's being very nefarious about it, maybe Ray Weinstein and Debbie have a point that we could maybe do something with some of the stuff. It's the whole throwing other people out of their homes and yep. stuff that, that makes it bad. It's knocking down the new side of the street, leaving the terraces, knocking down the new side of the street and building a skyscraper, I think, that people have taken exception to. Right. You know, and multiple people make comments about gentrification and how this will raise prices to the point where our children won't be able to afford to live here anymore, Mm -hmm. you know, and and all that stuff, which is 
fair point. And you kind of wish that they made more of, of that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. But yeah, you don't it's, more, it's more who, fun. Yeah. It's more fun to knock over a, a generator and have people dancing and beating drums. That is more fun. So, our final storyline today is the whole whole Carla love triangle thing. It's not not really really a love love triangle. triangle. It's not a love triangle at all. It's a shag triangle. There we go. It's a A shag triangle. It's not even a thruple because they're not... It's it's an orgy gone wrong. (laughs) It's just a bit of a mess. Let's just call it that. it's, It's a bit of a mess. On Monday, Dev is trying to sell boring Daniel some flowers at his shop, but all Daniel is interested in is some pull-up pants. He insists are for Bertie. You're right. <laughs> Dev chooses to mention training balls that Addy found useful. Big smiling faces, which is weird given the circumstances. Dev then calls Please, Daniel cheerios. and his family a slippery bunch, and he casts up the time a few weeks ago when yeah, he gave Adam credit when he realised he'd left his wallet at a hotel where he pumped Carla. Dev still hasn't been paid, and Daniel promises to remind Adam, but looks curious about the wallet thing. Yeah, a little too curious. Because at this point, does he know anything at all? <laughs> I'm, I can't remember what he knows. Well, he knows he knows that Carla cheated on Peter in a hotel. Because right, so Peter enough. has told him that this has happened, and that he doesn't know who it was with. Okay. But still... Daniel connects lines a lot more easily in the storyline than than he should be able to do. Or anyone. Even though he's a smart person. Back in the rover, Carla thinks Peter is uh, conducting an autopsy on his full English breakfast. He claims not to be hungry and she rushes off to work. Uh, Some marketing board is popping over later. Peter asks if he knows him because he used to work there claiming to be showing an interest. I write, says Carla. You don't. So Daniel nabs Sarah later and concocts a story about a mate of his because Daniel has a mate looking for a hotel recommendation and he was wondering about that conference hotel she was at the other week. What was it called again? Then Peter, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory to see if Carla fancies some lunch. And by the way, didn't you say you had an important meeting? Carla knows why Peter is here and it's nothing to do with lunch and it's obvious that he doesn't trust her. But she is happy to point out a female marketing board who has nipped to the loo and sheepish Peter leaves. And he meets up with Leanne in the community garden. She asks after his woes and he admits to being going through a rocket time with Carla. You've been through worse, says Leanne. Sometimes you don't get past, says Peter. She says don't throw away what you've got unless you're sure. If happiness is a choice, take it. Yeah, take your own advice there, Leanne. Right. Shouldn't take a flossing child. <laughs> he goes home just as Carla was worried uh, that he was on the sauce again. He apologises and goes down in his name proposes. Life's too ah. short to be alone. Let's go to Kefalonia and get married there tomorrow. And she ah. accepts. And it's the weirdest marriage proposal and acceptance ever. Yay. The plan is to go get a blessing in Kefalonia and then at a registry office uh, have the full do when they get back. This makes sense. Mm. That's coming from the man who proposed in baggage claim B in Logan Airport. Well, that's, uh, airports are romantic, aren't they? Yes. Airports are about yes. uh, meetings and departures and yes. longings and yes. things. Yes. It, it's it's just... fucking romantic. You. <laughs> back I just at wanted the... an excuse to mention it again. Back at Daniel's, dead romantic. Adam's called in 
Daniel's being noisy with dishes, so that means he's angry. He quizzes Adam about losing his wallet at a hotel, just like the bloke who slept with Carla. He's been to that hotel, spoken to the cleaner who found the wallet and remembers a Scottish bloke picking up, the same one he'd seen with Carla the night before. Pretty impressive stuff from the cleaner. Right, and also, is there only one Scottish man in Weatherfield? Is there only one Scottish person within a 25-mile radius of Weatherfield? <laughs> really? He's he's very presumptuous in connecting these these lines here. I mean, he's not wrong, but still, he shouldn't be able to... No. This is... Uh, Get off your high horse, says Adam. It's not like you haven't hung out a Carla yourself. Daniel says that was different. Peter has been a brother to Adam. Adam tells Daniel to keep it to himself, but Daniel doesn't want to hear it and throws Adam out. So Daniel goes into the pub and is surprised to see Carla hitting the champers with cause to celebrate. She explains and he's unmoved and tells her that he knows about Adam. He rolls his eyes. Mm. Carla tells Daniel that Peter is big enough to make his own decisions, so Daniel pretends to be happy when Peter comes in. Good luck, says Daniel, and Peter looks like he reckons one of them is just farted. Mm. On Wednesday in the morning, Carla seems to be having second thoughts about this Kefalonia thing and now wants to get married underwater in Las Vegas. (laughs) Peter... Uh, has been having second thoughts too. He wants a proper wedding, not just a registry office. Call me sentimental, he says, because the one thing you could say about Peter is that he's, he's sentimental. so sentimental. He wants his dad to be there. He wants Simon to be his best man and Daniel. And Peter says Daniel to gauge a reaction from Carla, but she doesn't flinch. She agrees to the honeymoon and then the wedding later. She right, ha- yeah. Now all of a sudden, Peter seems to think it was Daniel that she slept with. Right. Because she has before. Because 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 she has before, and because also he says, because Daniel congratulated him and said Weirdly. good luck. Weirdly. Because yeah. he was being kind of strange in the, in the right. pub, and Peter was like, was that all you've got to say? So Carla has to nip into town to drop some stuff, at, stuff off at a charity shop and buy some new things, and asks to keep all this information to themselves until she gets back, because she wants to see everyone's faces. Carla and a bunch of shopping bags turn up at Daniel's to beg for him to keep his fucking mouth shut. He seems to be giddy from the height of his high horse that he's on. (coughs) Bethany. (coughs) Carla says Peter doesn't want a clean-cut girlfriend. He needs someone broken like him. And he wants Daniel Daniel to be his best man, along with Simon. And And Daniel Daniel rolls his eyes again. And then falls off his high horse. Then thanks to Abby and the electricity in another storyline, the Rovers is in candlelight as Peter finishes packing. He says he's travelling light because one of them has to. Jenny must have seen Carla going to Daniel's, which I didn't think happened, but anyway. And she makes a flippant remark about that and Peter clearly jumps on it. And Aloha have just scored. Hooray for Aloha. Huzzah! The Barlows are at the Rovers celebrating Carla and Peter's engagement, but before the bubbles have died on the, on the champagne... Peter accuses Carla and Daniel of knocking boots. Peter is about to knock Daniel out as Sarah comes in and Adam comes clean and he says that he was the one what slept with Carla. And Carla's like, no, 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 don't, 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 because Sarah's come in. And Carla has seen Sarah, but Adam has not. And it's all a comedy of errors. (laughs) (laughs) This has Shakespeare written all over it. It really does. On Friday, understandably, Peter is rather miffed. Who's next? My dad? And rather comically, the camera cuts to Ken here, who says, Oh, Peter. (laughs) Sarah chooses to ignore the fact that she and Adam were on a break and storms out. Daniel chasing after her for some reason. Adam then gets torn into Carla, blaming her for everything. 
Peter is next to leave. Adam thinks if Carla had only lied, none of this would have happened. Now it's her turn to storm out, leaving Ken... Right, you're the one who just confessed, Adam. So the way Adam acts in all of this is just the shittiest he's ever been. Right. He is so shitty in all of this and acting like he's God's gift and all this other... I want the goofy, charming Adam back, please. And not this shitty, shitty misogynist who thinks he's God's gift to women. I'm kind of liking the swagger of this one. Says the Scotsman. Right. Ken gives Adam a lecture saying that he didn't stand in front of bulldozers yesterday to keep the community together just for Adam to fuck it all up. And then Ken goes home. Please don't sleep with any of my relatives. (laughs) Sure. Adam is in a booth on the phone to Daniel telling him to get Sarah uh, to want to see him because Daniel is is, is so happy with Adam right now that he's going to do that. All right. Then Carla comes out. No thanks, says Adam. I don't think he thinks this, but he suggests that he's expecting Carla to come on to him now that Peter's probably off on the booze again. Right, yeah. It's like, well, you used this as an excuse last time, so that's what's going to happen this time because I'm God's gift to women. He says that she was... Women throw themselves at me. She was the one who came on to him that he just felt sorry for her and that no wonder Peter is an alky if she can't face being alone for five seconds without jumping someone else. Which is revisionist history because... He was the one that followed her. He was the one who followed her to her room. Jenny comes in to confirm that a bottle of whiskey has gone missing. Adam orders a shot like he's in a western. If he was, says Carla, I'd have him shot by now. Death by cougar, says Adam. Other overs, Peter comes home and he's not been drinking. He hid the bottle earlier. Okay. But now he gets it out because he's just remembered. Carla slept with his nephew. Well, I'm sorry, says Carla. She calls it just another stupid mistake that they're both famous for, like that time Peter slept with the babysitter on their wedding day. And Peter is shocked that this keeps getting dropped up in conversation. And he's not wrong. And says it was years ago, a decade ago. She tries to explain that she was hurt after what uh, he'd said to her, and he was drinking, so he offers to get drunk again and give her a free pass. He takes a swig, calls it her fault, then says it'll be his fault if she goes and gets her hold of someone. Now everyone's happy. No one is happy. And this is very bad logic. And I think this comes from Carla not... They, they never talk about how much it did hurt her when... He said all those horrible things to her a couple of weeks ago. Right, yeah. He just apologised and she accepted the apology. They didn't... They didn't talk about how actually horrible that was. Right. Yeah. So this has never been dealt with. And that would have been a much more recent thing that she could have called back on as opposed to the babysitter. To say, look, you've been really shitty to me lately and nobody's talking about it. And it's just bubbling up and so i stupidly did this slept with adam which still doesn't make any sense to me uh none of this makes any sense timbot 4000 says this does not compute this is why you're not in charge of this because <laughs> you hit that button four times before it started <laughs> we don't hit a button timbot oh, is sentient yeah. right now Peter wants all the gory details. Uh, she said that she was as honest as she dared to be with him because she loves him. This is what you want to do? This is this is what you do to someone you love, he says. And he goes to take another swig. She says she and Adam aren't worth it and it'll kill him 
and he drinks it anyway, smiles, and then leaves. Right, yeah. He seems he's to want to know if it was one time, one night, much. or many times, one night. He's taking way too much pleasure in killing himself in front of her. Right. Meanwhile, Adam goes round to number eight to explain to Sarah what happened. Daniel is there briefly, but when someone asks why, he quickly leaves. Adam tells Sarah that he didn't know that we're going to get back together again. Sarah says, so you slept with your uncle's missus, my hero. He says it meant nothing, and he loves her, and she throws him out. Yeah, well, Timbot4000 says they were on a break. All right, Ross. It's... <laughs> it... Yeah, that that whole scene was weird too because it was Daniel who was putting the post-it notes through the mailbox, which is a little love actually as well, by the way. To speak to Sarah to try to talk her into forgiving Adam, but I thought he was mad at Adam for sleeping with Carla, or are we just blaming Carla for all of this and and not blaming Adam and is this why Adam thinks that it's okay to talk to Carla this way because everybody is on his side because obviously it was Carla who did all the seducing there is very much a reason why Adam is talking to everyone like this and we will get there and uh I loved Gail in this taking Sarah's back saying get the fuck out of here and the Bistro Ray is desperate to leave, but uh, after failing to get Debbie on the phone, but Adam is a customer who wants to enjoy his wine in peace. And they have an amusing wee ding-dong back and forth about customer rights, verbal contracts, and the invalidation of insurance right. when Ray like, gets bored and gives Adam the keys. Ray, why did you even let him in? It was already shut. The lights were out. The power was out. When I saw Adam behind him drinking at the bar while he's talking on the phone, I was like, how the hell did Adam get in? <laughs> Ray tells Adam to lock up on his way out. Meanwhile, Simon, who's on the hunt, thief. who's on the hunt for pizza and another storyline, happens upon a pished Peter in the community garden. It's kicking off anyway between the two of them, but it gets worse when Adam comes along, who's looking to get something from a shop or something because he's supposed to be in the beast anyway. It he, all comes he went out. To grab some fish and chips. No, that's he was wanting to get something from a couple of things from a shop apparently. It all comes out about Adam and Carla, and Peter screams at Adam that he's stalking him. Adam says that he's in the bistro out of everyone's way and he leaves and then Simon goes mental at Peter and he leaves too. Don't hate me, shouts Peter. Hate him. (laughs) And Simon shouts at Adam, you don't tell me what to do. Right. After Peter had shouted, you don't tell me what to do to Adam. Like a minute earlier. Right. And like at first Simon is shouting at Peter and is looking for reinforcements from Adam. But then when Peter says, he slept with Carla, then he starts shouting at Adam and defending his dad. And it's just, it's so shouty. It was very it's shouty. so funny how shouty it was. It was like, it was like that meme that has been made of the guys from, um, from that uh, show about the, the pawn shop in, in Las Vegas, where it's like, they're yelling at each other and then somebody throws a chair and it's always something really funny and clever that right. is put in there. It's 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 that only in real time. And it was so funny. I laughed so much. It's <laughs> Simon just I'm, shouting at everyone. 
Adam has been getting his 10,000 steps in after being in the bistro and is now walking by number eight with his fish and chips when Sarah comes out and calls him a coward for not responding to her text. Why are you texting him when you threw him out? He says he left his phone in the bistro and she asks if he was uh, the one hiding in the factory and he's a bit bored of this now and says they were on a break. She doesn't know why she thought uh, they could get back together again. He invites her back to the bistro, but she's really got to be in her bonnet about this factory thing. Tell me what you want, he says. I'll tell you what, what you I really, want, she really says. Want. What I really, really want? And she tells him to drop dead. It's funny that Adam does make that Spice Girls joke. The timing of that, that back and forth was, was kind of perfect. I loved that. <laughs> Adam catches Gary uh, trying to get in at the bistro. Adam says it's closed for a private party and he's not invited. And he makes out that Ray gave him the, the, give, give him the place on a verbal contract. Adam is in no mood to exchange barbs with Gary Whoopass and he thinks he might go eat his fish and chips and listen to some music and call the cops about the rick-shaped body that's in the woods. So Adam's finally got back into the bistro and has some music playing on his phone as he grabs another bottle of wine. And he's got like some fancy schmancy speaker so that must have been what he went out for. I think it was his phone that was lighting up. No, he's got like this... Because he says something, he's got a box with like this little tower thing in it and he says something about how it can make... Oh, is that what it was? I don't know. So it looks like he's already had a skin full by the look of things and he goes to sleep with his head in the bar while a mystery figure, dressed in black, grabs a heavy, jaggy ornament. Or something. Right. And he also thieves because he takes whiskey that wasn't part of the wine wine that he'd already paid for. Carla's back in the Rovers. Daniel is there for some reason, but when Carla asks why, he quickly leaves again. (laughs) Carla thinks Peter will come back here when he runs out of booze or cash and she cracks open a bottle of vino uh, while she waits. Ironically. At number eight, Sarah sneaks in the back door and quickly washes her hands, telling David about Tim's dad. David doesn't give a fuck. Some people have it coming, says Sarah. And she looks dodgy as fuck. David's heard about Adam, and if it's any consolation, David doesn't think that Adam cheated. Not technically. It's salvageable. Timbot4000 says they were on a break. Right. Right. Thank you, Ross. Now we see Gary at the furniture thing, lighting an oil lamp and looking moody. And then we see a pished Peter drop his half brick because he's carrying a half brick around for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why he's got because he had that half brick earlier. It's right. like, what? And I think even Simon says, why do you have that brick in your hand? He finishes up his half bottle and then curls up on the bench in the falls community asleep. garden falls asleep. Finally, we see Adam flat out on the floor, unconscious in the bistro in a pool of his own blood. Right. And, and that's how we end this week's episodes. So Adam gets a pool of blood Tim's dad gets chickens. <laughs> and Alia doesn't even get a bit of jam on her forehead. No. And we see the broken ornament, which looks like, like an award or something that right. the Bistros won right. at some point. I don't know anything about this. So you would think Adam would be dead. This is a good thing about what happened this week was that they managed to keep this secret. It's another whodunit, but they managed to keep it secret. Ish. Did you know that this was happening? Kinda. So no then. <laughs> it's someone dressed in black. Everyone was dressed in black, basically. It's someone that Adam has upset. Adam has upset everyone. everyone. But I guess the main culprits or the main suspects are... Sarah, Gary, or Peter. I'm going to throw Carla in there, and I'm going to throw Daniel in there, and I'm going to throw Simon in there. Well, I say Sarah, Peter, 
and Gary, because those are the three people we see before we see Adam lying on the bistro floor in a pool of his own blood. I am going to discount Gary straight away because Gary was the roof ninja. So he's not going to be the bistro ninja. Maybe. I mean, he's also the ninja who killed Rick the Chin. That wasn't a ninja. That was that was in daylight. That's true. We saw it happen. So, well, we didn't see it happen, but we, mm. we knew it had happened. It's not Gary. I don't think, I don't it's, think Peter. it's Peter. Peter was Peter gassed. could barely stand. And he had a half brick. If he had a half brick, he would have used a half brick to knock him out rather than... And I kind of don't think it was Sarah because... It, it looked did the the person looked too tall to be Sarah, the little bit that we could see. Carla was acting a little bit dodgy when she came back. Oh well, he'll come back. She wasn't frantic. She wasn't really caring. I don't think it was Daniel. Again, too short. The person that I have the most um, concerns about is probably Simon because they've gone a little bit out of their way to conceal what he was wearing. Because it had a blue, it wasn't a puffer puffer jacket, but it was a blue jacket he had on, on top of a grey hoodie that he had on top of a black sweater. Hmm. The but Barlows the, do have a history of trying to kill one another off. The weaving off the the, the fabric looked like it, it could have been Simon, but it also looked like it could have been Gary. Yeah, it, it looked Gary. like Gary's coat. I don't know. Who done it? I have no idea. No, I don't think anybody has any idea yet. Well, somebody has an idea because somebody wrote this. Well, this is going to be dragging on for just when you think, right? We've got Who killed Mr. Burns? Right. It was Maggie. <gasps> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Who killed JR? Who shot JR? Did Abby get lifted? Abby didn't get lifted for no. the No, she didn't. No, she didn't. Because anyway. it was an accident. So. <sighs> And everybody, like, once again, rallied around her and, and wouldn't let them. As as much as this is a done before, who done it kind of thing, I do like a who done it. I, I think I, it was I like Ray all, Weinstein who I like killed all the stealing the wine. <laughs> I like all the red herrings and the um, the false clues and, and how everyone kind of has a reason to Kill bop, Adam. bop Adam in the head. But the, the Peter and Carla... Um, Degeneration of their relationship again. I think she's right. This is just another in a long line of uh, stupid situations and stupid mistakes that they find themselves in. Right. But but maybe maybe stop doing that. <laughs> maybe stop setting yourselves up to because they know this is how it's going to end. Well, and they they keep on going back to that night in the billiard hall two years ago. And we're also setting up, you know, what does this mean for Peter's health and well-being? him drinking again because simon says in the victoria garden remember what the doctor said last time this but, could kill you but it wasn't the last time it was a time before the last time before the last time right well so who knows he's really rolling these dice and sooner or later it's going to come up all snake eyes right and he fear got stuck into it Yes. On Friday. Because that was a bottle that he drank and that was a half bottle that he had at the end. So presumably that's a bottle and a half he's drunk. That he just chucks. Right. In the community garden. Shame. Tut, tut, tut. Very shameful. So yeah. Uh, And again, this is just... 
I hate that that thing that Carla says to Daniel about how he's got to be with someone as broken as he is, because that's just codependency all over. Well, that's true. That's true, though. Well, it's 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 true in his own head, maybe. But it's true in her head as well. Right, because they're both codependent upon one another and one right. another's trash. Right, so not whereas nothing they're saying both is- of them both of them would be better off not dating anyone, getting their lives together, and then finding somebody who's not broken. That's mm-hmm. what should happen. But this is a soap opera, so that will never happen. Right. Is Adam dead? No. Even though he's got all that blood. He's lost a lot of which, blood, but it's a head injury. Which a dead... Well, Tim's dad landed on his head. But he did die. Yeah, and yet he didn't get a lot of blood. Well, I don't think he landed on his head. I think his head hit the ground, but I, I think he landed on his feet. He went down feet first. No, because you first. don't land on your feet. You, and the way... Oh, please don't try and do physics. The way that he fell... Feet first. Yeah, would he land on his back? Probably. Yeah. Very neatly landed on his back, though. He should be, like, all like this. There should be some broken limbs there, but that, right. would, that would require breaking his limbs. Or doing some fancy uh, CGI like they did for Jack's leg. Right. Or, you know, prosthetics. Or a mannequin, like with Oliver. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Moment of the week. Tim's dad falling off the roof. You think? I don't know. What do you think? Well, the Monday was my favourite episode of the week. So, something about the um, the case. Imran, ooh, ooh, moment of the week. Imran giving Tim's dad lots of rope to hang himself. I think Imran's no further questions was yeah. was pretty, pretty oofty. Yeah, that yeah. was good. And I don't think we've given it to Imran in quite some time. That's true. Maybe since the last time we were standing outside with no trousers on, <laughs> with Nick, it's, it's probably been it's probably been as long as that. Yeah, and yet we love Charlie. So yeah, let's let's do this. That's our moment of the week. Moment of the week. The boring moment of the week. Brian talking about the Mikado. Uh, I think some of the other conversations, there's bits that I cut out um, that we haven't talked about. <laughs> And the Rovers with Rita and Audrey when they were just oh, killing, yeah. killing time. Yeah, that was... I I kind of felt like that Rita and Audrey bit, that was our nod to this being Absolutely. the 60th anniversary. And it was just... It was so cursory. It was so thrown in. Mm-hmm. It was so pointless. Right. Yeah, that's our boring moment of the week. It's our... Boring moment of the week. Boring, boring moment, moment of the week. Yeah, okay. Shall we wrap this one up then? Yes, please. If you've ever materialised on a terrace roof, uh, presumably having fought through at least a minor light of fluid-fueled inferno to do so, jot us a note and let us know how you got about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com, which is also our address on Skype for voicemail and on PayPal. If you want to chuck us a couple of bucks for our virtual tip jar, we're at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Please check out our merch store and YouTube channel, links to which you can find on our Twitter bio or on the other stuff page of the talk of the street.podbean.com. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or on your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. We will be back next week with more. Timbot4000 to- says happy birthday, Coronation Street. Enough! Talk of the street. Cheerio. <laughs> <laughs>